The basis of this morning's message is from the gospel reading, I tell you there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, the 99 who do not really need to repent. Please be seated. Good morning. Dear friends in Christ, greetings and peace in the name of Jesus, the head of his church. Have you ever had poor seats? You know what I'm talking about? You spent big money, had poor seats. I remember one time I went to a ball game and my seat was like located behind an iron beam. I had to spend half the game like this. There was a former student of mine who actually was a student here who called me up. And Ohio State was playing the college team in my town. He goes, Kurt, do you want to go to tonight's game? Well, sure. He goes, well, I have tickets for you, too. That's great. And you're going to sit on the Ohio State bench with his players. That's great. And you have to go to the VIP section and get tickets. That's awesome. And they're free. woo Those were great seats. Now, you ever been to a Cleveland Browns game? They have this program sponsored by a company. And before the game kicks off, they take two players in a nosebleed section and they sort of like put them in seats down the 50-yard line and they're free. Wow, that's great. You know, it was really hard to get Cleveland Browns tickets until after last Sunday's game. But now they're really available, okay? So talking about seats, our Lord shares that for those who are robed in Christ in faith, that they will dine with him forever. For those who are robed in belief, they will dine with him forever at an eternal banquet. But those who are not properly robed in faith, they will be cast out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every week we come into this house and we confess that Christ is seated where? At the right hand of God. It's a position of power. The early Christian church the pastor used to sit there and the congregation had to stand for the service. Seriously, the pastor had a seat of authority and he preached from there and everybody else had to stand so I guess there's no more sleeping in church, right? The mother of the sons of Zebedee said, Lord, let my two sons be seated at your right hand. That'd be a great position for my two dear little boys. And Jesus said, do your sons want to be seated with me? Can they drink the cup I'm about to drink of my suffering and my death? The mother said, no. That's sort of like getting tickets to the Titanic, a seat on the Titanic. That's not good at all. Talking about seats. In today's Bible lesson just read to you, Jesus talked about seats. He talks about table fellowship. See, you and I, we can't relate to table fellowship because whenever there is a celebration... In the cafeteria, we just sit whatever and whoever. When I think about table fellowship, I go back to my days at Euclid Public High School. My high school was so big that we only had three classes, sophomore, juniors, and seniors, and there's a thousand kids in each class. And I remember there's only three lunch periods. And so we practiced table fellowship at Euclid Public High School. The jocks sat with the jocks. The football players sat with the football players. No offense, the kids who are known to be in bad activities, we call them burnouts, sat together. The pom-pom and the cheer team sat together. The brainiacs sat together. Then there were those kids, remember? Like they have greasy hair and they never shower and they didn't know how to dress properly. And they all sat at their own table. 
And later in life, I said, what must their home life been like for them to be like that? And then, then there was a table for the shop guys. You know, the auto mechanic class in a metal shop. And there was a band people sat together. And everybody sat at their own table. Now, there's tables for guys like me, like who ran and were Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. You know, we're just a plain Jane and Joes. I call them the nerd tables. There are a lot of nerd tables. And, of course, there's a lot of pretty girl tables, which I thought was really cool. There's even a table for people who rooted for other teams. Like there's some people who rooted for the Yankees. Or they rooted for the Dodgers. Or they rooted for the Cowboys and maybe a St. Louis or t- uh, Cardinal fan, one or two of them, okay? And they all sat together, all right? They didn't sit anyone else. And the big thing about table fellowship was that football players didn't sit with the cheerleaders. And we even had a table for the mentally and physically disabled. The burnouts didn't sit with them. The nerds didn't sit with the cheer team. The shop class didn't sit with the pretty girls. Everybody was relegated to their table, and you better not sit where you weren't supposed to sit because someone would tell you rudely to please go away. That's table fellowship. Our only experience of table fellowship, for many of us, is our high school cafeteria. But in Jesus' day, there was table fellowship practiced. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. So let me ask you, if you don't mind. Where would you sit? What table would you be at? Now go ahead and answer this. Where would Jesus sit? Tell me, where would Jesus sit? Where? He would sit wherever. He'd sit with everybody and anybody. The kids with greasy hair, the, the, the kids who are in trouble, the brainiacs, people even root for like the colonels and the cowboys. He'd sit with the nerds. He'd sit anywhere. So in today's gospel lesson, Jesus gets in trouble because he's sitting with sinners. Now let me take this one off the plate real fast. Everybody here is a sinner. We're all sinners. But like the Pharisees, they're, like, they're not like soup Nazis. They're like table fellowship Nazis. And they, when they saw Jesus sitting with, I don't know, the sexually immoral, with like thieves, maybe even politicians, the neighbor who lets his dog do, do the dog's business in the yard, those type of people. They said, Jesus, how could you let this happen? How could you be sitting with these people? What's the matter with you, Jesus? See, the Pharisees thought, man, we're really good. We got our act together. How could Jesus be sitting with those people? And eating with them. So how does our Lord respond? He tells them a parable. Now this isn't a parable. A parable isn't a nice story for nice children in a nice classroom with nice things. That's not a parable. Now we think of a parable like that. Parables aren't nice stories for nice children in nice classrooms and everything's nice. But what is a parable? A parable is a fist in a velvet glove. Let me explain a little further. When Jesus tells a parable, not all can understand them. What do you mean? They're sort of like children's messages. No, they're not. Parables have deep spiritual meanings. Their meanings come from heaven. There are some people who cannot hear a parable because it is spiritually discerned. It comes from the deep realm of God and not everybody can understand a parable. Even though it's couched in earthly terms, a parable brings a heavenly blessing, and in all of them, someone's getting their lunch handed to them. So when Jesus tells a parable, someone's getting a knuckle sandwich. 
Jesus is pointing out someone's sin when he tells them a parable. So Jesus tells them a parable, and it comes from Luke 15. Now, if you look up a, in the dictionary what a parable is, it's going to say Luke 15. Luke 15 is like the par excellence chapter of the Bible of parables. And the genre is lost and found. So Jesus tells a couple of parables like this. He goes, there's this sheep herder who owned a hundred sheep and one went away and the master went and looked for that. You and I would cut our losses and say, big deal. 99% is a really good retention rate. I don't care about the lost sheep. Jesus tells a parable about a woman who has 10 pennies and she loses one. You and I would say, what's the big deal? I'm not going to tear up my house for a penny. You see, what Jesus was getting at was the Pharisees to despise the people Jesus sat with. Jesus was getting with the Pharisees who were as much sinners as the people that Jesus was sitting with. That's the point Jesus is getting to. So, in Jesus, the one matters. The one lost sheep, the one lost coin. To Jesus, he has come to seek and save the lost. To Jesus, the one is the one who is being called to repent. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. To Jesus, the one person he cares about are the sexually immoral. The neighbor who lets their dog do the business in the yard. They're the politicians and the liars and the cheats. Jesus cares as much for them as he does for the Pharisees. The one matters to Jesus. You hear about the little boy? He went on vacation. He went on vacation to the ocean. And he loved walking on the beach in the morning. And every morning he walked on the beach, dozens and dozens of starfish would come ashore. They're swept up there and they're dying. And the little boy spent a half an hour, and with all his might he threw back as many starfish as he can so they wouldn't die. Then there's a man who lived on that same beach for decades. He said, little boy, I've been here many years. You're not going to be able to save them all. And you're going back home on vacation. What's going to happen to a starfish then? But the little boy had a starfish in his hand. He said, you're right, but to this one, it matters to the world, and he throws them back. You see, Jesus cares for the one. He cares for the person to repent. No matter what table they sit at, with a burnout, with a greasy hair, the physically disabled, with the nerds or the pretty girls, he cares about the one. You see, table fellowship is about, it's with others, and it's about labeling. Pretty girls and jocks and the kids with greasy hair, and the physically disabled, and the nerds. It's all about sinful judgment. You see, one group was, reject, was perceived to be dirty on the outside, but were open to grace. Those sinners that Jesus sat with were open to what Jesus had to say to them. I am your Savior. I love you. To the Pharisees, who were like table fellowship Nazis, the other group perceived themselves to be clean on the outside, but were closed to grace. The Pharisees didn't need Jesus' grace. They were good enough as it was. But Jesus was calling them to repent as much as he was calling the other sinners to repent. See, Jesus has two labels. This is how Jesus sees the world. Jesus sees the world as those who repent of their sins and those who don't repent of their sins. 
Jesus sees the world as those who are saved and those who are damned to hell. Jesus sees the world as children of God and children of damnation. Jesus sees the world as sheep who are saved and goats that are lost. He perceives the world as the right and the left that is lost. And he perceives the world, all of us here, as those who are sorry for their sins or those who aren't sorry for their sins. Because doesn't the Bible say that if we say we have no sin, we what? Deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us? Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God has granted them repentance to eternal life. That's how Jesus sees the world, as repentant or non-repentant. He doesn't see the world as pretty girls and jocks and girls in shop class and the nerd tables. He perceives all of us as either repentant of our sins or not sorry for our sins. Dr. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, said this, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Well, what's the big news about that? Everybody knows that. No, let me explain it to you. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And if you do not perceive yourself as a sinner, Jesus Christ did not come to save you. He came to save sinners. Well, I'm not that bad of a sinner. You should see my neighbor down the road. I'm not that bad of a sinner. You should see the guy I work with. I'm not that bad of a sinner. Come to Thanksgiving dinner at my house and I'll show you real sinners. Well, Jesus Christ came to save who? Sinners. Chief of sinners do I be, Jesus Christ died for me. Well, if St. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners, then I must be the super-duper chief of sinners. He came to save sinners. Martin Luther said this. Repent. He says this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. My life and your life, before we go to bed at night, repent of our sins. We repent of our sins of sometimes coming to church because we have to. Repent of our sins because I didn't turn my head when I saw the attractive person. We repent of our sins when I walk out of a public worship service instead of hearing God's house, hearing God's word. Repent of our sins, whether I gossip about my neighbor. Repent of our sins, I'm not as generous as I used to be. Repent of our sins when we're disrespectful to the word of God being preached here and we may come into church a show. Repent of those sins. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, the life of a Christian is a life of daily repentance. So every day, before I go to bed at night, before you go to bed at night, Lord God, here's all the sins I committed. The sins I know about and the sins I don't know about. Forgive me, please. You see, Jesus Christ calls us to repent. And for those who repent, they are forgiven. You see, there's always room at God's table and God's seat for those who repent. The seat's always open, the door's always open for Jesus Christ died for you to forgive you and redeem you. He confirms in the Lord's Supper we receive his body and blood and it's renewed there in the waters of baptism. You repent and your baptism grace comes right back to you. What a joy and blessing that is. Or as the children sang, rejoice in the Lord. See, the seat of God's mercy is always plenty of seats in God's kingdom for those who repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a red-letter challenge for today. Now, we're going through a red-letter challenge Bible study, many of you in small groups. For those who repent, Jesus says, come, to, come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. 
for those of us who many times are beat up by sin, the temptations of the devil, come and find, come with me and find a place to rest. For I will give you mercy and I will give you eternal rest. And I'll have a place for you at my eternal banquet in heaven. So you heard the senior choir say this. Sing this. How about this for a closing thought? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm what? Found. I was blind, but now I what? See. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.